Hello, and welcome to the Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I'm joined by James, and we're going to be discussing Flashpoint number one through five by Jeff Johns and Andy Kubert from 2011. James, how you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. Now, I do want to start off with a quick point of clarification for the listeners. We're going to be discussing, quite literally, Flashpoint one through five, not like the entire Flashpoint event. Yeah, because you were telling me it took over the whole DC publishing line. It did. It's got, I don't know, 65 or so comics. I don't know how many. Holy mackerel. <laughs> In addition to this miniseries, there were like a dozen or more other miniseries. Some were three issues, some were two, so there were some one-shots, and it all fleshed out this reality. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. So I, I don't have any of that context. I just read this. Okay, that was going to be my question. Now, have you read the miniseries before? No, no, this is my first time. I've been reading the new Flashpoint the return to Flashpoint, uh, and it Flashpoint was kind of beyond or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flashpoint Beyond, which is funny because you were telling me this shouldn't exist, and now it makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's interesting with Flashpoint is this event acted as a three-month break, kind of leading into the New Fifty Two. Yes. They had essentially shut down all of their regular ongoing titles, so during this time there was no Action Comics, there was no Detective Comics, etc., and. The Flashpoint reality was all you had from the mainstream DC for two, three months. So it's pretty much like Elseworlds. What's weird is the timeline was reset kind of both going into and coming out of this miniseries slash event. Okay. And all of this, knowing Flashpoint was coming up, knowing the other titles were ending, there was going to be a break, and then what's beyond, it really kind of put the DC universe in kind of a lame duck status for a few months prior to Flashpoint. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I didn't know this happened. But they did it again with, like, multiversity and stuff. So DC does this from time to time where they kind of shut down everything. Uh, multiversity did not do that. That was just a miniseries off on the side while everything else kept going. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I, which was the one when they were moving to Burbank? And that was Convergence. Convergence, Convergence. That's what it was. Yeah, okay. Cool, cool. Yeah, and this was, again, this was to buy them the time to properly set up the new universe. Okay, Or yeah. the new 52, I should say. New universe is Marvel. And this is basically Dan DiDio's baby. I would think. The New 52, I think, was his. How much of Flashpoint was his, I don't know. Correct. Not 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 this. New 52, that's what I was referring to. And yeah. it was interesting because reading just the miniseries this time was a very different experience for me than reading the entire Flashpoint event as it was happening back in 2011. Okay. Better or worse, or how did you feel? Man, that's a tough question to answer. It's a great question. I felt originally that you know, I knew we were going to come out of it with something new. I didn't know quite what. Okay. And I was a little annoyed by the whole lame duck aspect, but I was really pleased when I was reading everything that was coming out with Flashpoint in the span of two, three months, how much they really fleshed out this world. And it gave me a lot of hope for the new 52. And then I read the new 52. <laughs> You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Even two, three years into it, I don't feel they'd flesh that world out as much as Flashpoint was fleshed out. Yeah. Now, reading it this time, it really reminded me or pointed out to me 
how much of the world building was done in those other titles. Yeah, I know what you're saying because this felt, reading it with not any of that other context, it felt a little bit rushed and not fleshed out, like it jumped around a little bit. But that makes sense because it's probably read this, this, and this in between. And people who were in on the DC books probably were getting the equivalent of whatever the action and detective was at that time. I have no clue what they were. Well, the whole conflict between Aquaman and Wonder Woman is just kind of presented as it's a conflict here. Yeah. Yet it's really fleshed out and you get some of the what led to what and kind of how that was almost engineered to a degree by a couple of people in these other titles. Ah, okay. Now, I believe one of them was told from Aquaman's perspective, or at least the Atlantean perspective, and another from their Wonder Woman perspective and the uh, Amazon's perspective. Okay. So you really come at it from different angles and stuff like that, and it almost allows each side, I don't want to say to be the hero, because I, I really don't think there were any heroes in all of that, but for, for that to get fleshed out. And then the whole group of characters that Cyborg brings together, which was a pretty eclectic group. Yeah, it was really random. <laughs> a lot of those got kind of fleshed out in some of these other books. And the, the, the team he's trying to put together consists of the Shazam kids, and we'll talk about them in a minute. Okay. Abin Sur, the Green Lantern, who would have given his ring to Hal, except in this timeline, he doesn't. Yep. Blackout, who's kind of a, I'm going to say a nothing character beyond Flashpoint for the most part. Uh, Pied Piper, Enchantress, Shade, Outsider, Sandman, Citizen Gold, and Element Woman. Yeah, just a weird group. I mean, out of those, I would say the biggest name character is, is Citizen Cold, which is essentially a good version of Captain Cold. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Because I was looking at this, I'm like, who the heck is this Motley crew? <laughs> yeah. Well, and some of this stuff does ripple into the new 52. Okay, all right. The Shazam kids, mainly. Yeah, okay. Because cool. this is where we get Eugene Choi, Pedro, Darla, and, I mean, they go along with Billy, Freddie, and Mary. And in this case, they don't create Captain Marvel, they create Captain Thunder. Yeah, Captain Thunder. One thing I did... I don't want to say I, I liked, but one thing that I thought was interesting is they kind of, you know, used Thawne to basically say, hey, all the big pieces were taken care of so that he couldn't reform the Justice League. So thus you have this eclectic group of people that are kind of like, I guess, the remnants of heroes that might be remaining. Well, they make it seem like it was a surgical strike that Thawne had done against Barry because, you know, he's the reverse Flash. He can't take out the Flash, but he can take out his support structure. Yeah. But my reading of it is that's not what happened. Yeah, because some of them were still kind of there, just changed. Yeah, but I don't think the Reverse Flash had a damn bit to do with it. I think he just survived because of... He essentially gets granted temporal immunity, for lack of a better term. Yep. And I believe the phrase is he's not shackled to any history at this point. He's like, so I exist outside of time. Yeah. Here. Almost like Kang or something. <laughs> but... All of this, as it becomes clear in the, the fifth issue, was because in the Flash title, right before all of this, Barry learns that it was the reverse Flash that killed his mother. Uh, okay, yep. And we learn that, although we don't see it in this miniseries, well, we see it in retrospect in the fifth issue, Barry had gone back in time and saved his mother. Okay. And that shattered the time stream. Yeah, because I kind of got that based on our conversations in the past, even though it wasn't really laid out here. It wasn't, and it was kind of a, the butler did it kind of reveal at the end, I felt. Yep. And 
there were a few things that felt like rippled almost backwards in time, depending how old some characters are versus Barry and such. And because if if the point of change was Barry's mother dying, not dying, when Barry's, I don't know, we'll say seven or eight, and that changes Superman's arrival on Earth, I mean, I kind of thought they were much more contemporary than, than off by seven, eight years or something. Exactly. Yeah, one preceded the other. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was a little weird there. But, again, I thought this was a fun chance for them to... I, I really do think Jeff Johns was doing a dry run with these other kids as part of the Shazam stuff. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I thought it was fun to be Captain Thunder versus Captain Marvel, because Captain Thunder was the original proposed name for the Shazam Captain Marvel. Now, that I didn't know. Interesting. Wikipedia comes to the rescue, of course. Ah. It's not like I just know these things. I was like, holy mackerel, how'd you do that? <laughs> I can read. Uh, apparently that name couldn't be used because of trademarks. It was already in use or something like that. Ah. So somebody, uh, I think it was one of the artists or something, suggested Captain Marvelous, which was just shortened to Captain Marvel. Makes sense. Now, what's kind of funny, to me at least, is Captain Marvelous is the name of the Red Ranger and Gokaiger over in Super Sentai. No relation, of course. That's hilarious. <laughs> but... In 1974, and I've, I've read a reprint of this, in Superman number 276, mm -hmm. and this was published while the Shazam series was being published by DC, I believe, Superman encounters Captain Thunder. He's a hero displaced from another Earth and another time. Now, his powers are based on a, a Thunder acronym. It gives him the power of the tornado, the speed of the hair, and some other stuff that just, okay, the, the toughness of a diamond. Flight of an eagle, tenacity of a ram, it's like wisdom of nature, and uh, bravery was from Uncas. It's like, I don't even know what that is. Holy man, yeah, what's Uncas? <laughs> I don't know, but it, it, you know, put them in the right order, it spells out thunder, and it's, you know, say uh, the name, rub the belt kind of a deal. Okay. And what they do here with these kids is a, a kind of bizarre riff almost on, like, the forever people becoming the Infinity Man. And then you've got, like, He-Man's Battle Cat look for, for Tawny the Tiger. Exactly, yeah. That's the vibe I got from him, too. And it's like, okay, the, the He-Man part didn't make it into the New 52. The Gestalt hero didn't, but some of these kids did. Okay. And there were a lot of other things that they just toss out as being different. You know, we've got a Miss Alchemy versus Mr. Alchemy, Citizen Cold the Hero versus Captain Cold the Rogue, the Joker's sidekick is Yo-Yo. Some stuff like that. And it was it was interesting. And again, these other titles really flesh this world out surprisingly well and quickly in, again, a short time frame, which is good because this world only existed for a short time frame. Yeah. Three months and you're in and out and then, boom, everything relaunches. Yeah. And I felt this was a little almost cursory within the miniseries itself, but also probably one of the best examples of using side stories to, to flesh out the bigger story. Yeah, it, uh, that makes sense. It, this is one of the things where I feel like, it, it, you know, I, I tend to just read the main event now. I, I, I get jaded with buying the side books, mm -hmm. but I, I felt like I was missing a lot here. And, and, and for a good reason, because nothing else was being published, they intended for readers to pick up these other books or at least the ones you may be interested in. You know, going back, James 2011, if I was reading this thing, I would have been really interested in seeing, you know, the Amazons battling the Atlanteans. I would have been all over that. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure there's other things in here I would have enjoyed. But it, yeah, reading this, you, it's a full story. You just feel like 
it's rushed a little bit, but that makes sense because they're leaving so much to these other books. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. I think it probably was done well because I was able to enjoy this for what it was, and it felt like almost like a breezy read, which is funny. <laughs> it was a, a surprisingly quick read for a five-issue anchor title for an event. Yeah. And some of the characters we get in these other books, I don't even sh- think show up in Flashpoint proper itself. Interesting. I don't know that we ever get Dead Man. Grodd is there for a couple of panels at the end. Yep. We get reference to some of the Secret Seven, which is a fun play on the Secret Six name. And we see them briefly, but not too much. The Creatures of the Unknown, or whatever it was, I don't even think we see Frankenstein in them, or at least they, they don't do anything meaningful, like I don't know, speak or anything. But we get some of the others. Yeah. And there's just, it's one of those things that... They're trying to tell an interesting story, but the whole excuse of it was to rewrite the timeline, once going in and once coming out, like I said, with the once going in just being a contrivance of the story. It was the once coming out that I think was the point of the story. Yeah, I I would agree with you there. It was total setup for the New 52. And what's interesting to me is like they had a lot of cool things there. You could tell that Jeff Johns enjoyed what he was writing, and I think that's why they allowed him to... I don't want to say allowed him to, but he probably came back and pitched DC. Hey, I'd like to revisit this little world I created. Once again, I, you know, with the timeline being undone, I agree with you now. It's, it almost shouldn't exist. It was fixed and fixed incorrectly, which led to the new 52. And just how are we back to this point now in 2022? Yes. That's, that's where I am. And now I see your confusion. I'm like, yeah, it, it, this should not be here. Well, it's the same problem we had over at Marvel when they'd go back to the the Age of Apocalypse or something like that, where it was, no, no, you, you overwrote the timeline and then set it back, which is very literally what they do here. So it's not like there's a parallel world of Flashpoint to go back to. Yeah, it shouldn't exist. So I'm hoping Flashpoint Beyond kind of addresses that and has a, a suitable resolution. If they just go with, well, we've got this... Omniverse or you know multiple mega, uh, multiverse or whatever they're they're going with, and there just happened to be one that was just like it that we're we're borrowing or something. It's like nah, it's a bit of a cheat. Yeah, and that's <laughs> essentially what Marvel did. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and it's like okay, it's just kind of kind of weak. I'll tell you what though, I you know reading this, even though th- this I would not say is my favorite Jeff John story, but I did enjoy this book. You know, I see a lot of similar things with him and Brian K. Vaughn, the way that he writes and having that, you know, like the big reveal on the last page that gets you really interested. I need to read the next issue. Oh, I need to read the next issue. I like, I love how he does that. He he keeps the book interesting enough to where he, he gives you a big reveal at the end where you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Let's go to the next issue. It's a, an effective story technique, but if it's used too much, it gets really tiresome pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I I would agree. <laughs> Ken. The Titans Hunt that Marv Wolfman did, I think, is a prime example of that, where it's 22 pages, a cliffhanger reveal, major moment sort of a thing, 22 pages, rinse, repeat. And it's like, I mean, I get you want to end on a big moment to, to entice us to the next issue, but it feels like the next issue is just the roller coaster spinning back around until it's up on that top of the ramp and we're about to go fall off the top again kind of a deal it becomes very noticeable storytelling. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you there. And, you know, I'm hoping that nobody read the new Flashpoint like I did before reading the original Flashpoint here, because I knew about the Thomas Wayne. (laughs) And I was like, 
it kind of spoiled it for me, but it's still the reveal was really cool because you see Batman being so much more visceral and this isn't how Batman should be. And then you realize this is a jaded or angry father who lost a son versus a hurt child who's lost their dad. Well, and there was one or two titles focusing on Thomas Wayne and his uh, Batman and such. So there's still more for you to learn about the character. Did, did you like it or was it a little too brutal for you? Given the way they developed the character, it kind of made sense because he he's a broken man in a very different way than Bruce was. Yeah. I see him almost more Punisher-like. You know, that older man who's yeah who's lost a child. And, and it's true. Uh, you know, my mom, she, she lost a child. And it, it still affects her to this day. Mm-hmm. No parent should have to outlive the, the child. Agreed. You know, when, it, when a parent outlives their only son, that's got to break them. That's my heir. That was everything, you know? Well, and effectively what they did is they turned the Batman origin and kind of rift on the Punisher. Yep. And you get a much more violent character as a result. That's totally what I felt. I would have been totally into this character. So definitely two more books I got to dig up and, and read. <laughs> yeah. I think if you enjoy Flashpoint, the miniseries, it's a bit of a endeavor, but there's a lot to be said for reading the entire event. Yeah. I, I, it made me interested to read the whole thing and get everything out of it. And if I'm not mistaken, I probably, you knowing me, I think I picked up the Flashpoint Omnibus. <laughs> oh, probably. And it's buried in the stack, and I just don't know where it is. <laughs> so uh, I, I have these books. I need to read them. It's, again, they do a great job fleshing out the entire world, giving it meaning. And when I read it that way, the big war there at the end had a lot more resonance to it than it did this time. Yeah, yeah. No, that that makes sense. I I I did enjoy this book. I liked it. It gave me a little bit, and I don't want to say the vibes. It wasn't the same. I did read the story. What was it? Countdown or fifty two? What was the original thing where it counted down the fifty two weeks? See, fifty two was numbered consecutively, but there was countdown to Infinite Crisis. I think. Okay. Yeah, there was like a, a final a, a, crisis, maybe. Yeah, final. there was like fifty-two issues of something. I picked it up from DC. I remember there's a big fifty-two omnibus, but I actually had picked up the single issues and I read it. And it's basically where the the Trinity, you know, Wonder yeah, Woman. Yeah, that's and fifty-two ba- itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were they were all gone and had died. But this it wasn't the same. But it gave me a little bit of that vibe because they took a lot of the big pieces and they altered them mm-hmm. and so changed them. And so you were left with like. Uh, the the B cast or the C cast or maybe even the D cast that are more of the heroes. And so it's kind of cool because it was along that same vein. If you're looking to see, you know, read a Batman book, this is probably not it. If you're looking for a Superman book, this is definitely not it. Wonder Woman was here, but I didn't see much of her because I didn't read the side story. It was a Flash event, which is highly unusual. Yeah. So if you if you like the Flash, this is definitely a story that's worth checking out. I would agree. There are some aspects where, again, looking just at the five-issue miniseries, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the fifth issue that, again, felt like it was the parlor scene in a classic mystery where the, the detective is there to, to tell you who done it and what you missed in the entire story thus far. Yeah, that, uh, that did happen <laughs> quite a bit. And I felt that, I don't know if they just needed more space or, or what, but there was some stuff that happened there at the end when Barry is basically stopping himself from saving his mother, and then we get this this two-page splash of the timelines and such, and it's like, okay, this is where Jeff Johns is 
finished basically telling his story and is now telling Dan Didio's, you know, presumably his dictate of, of, we need to have the new 52 come out of this. Yep. And really, the point of this was to take what they claim was three disparate timelines of the DC Universe, the Vertigo stuff, which had been part of the DC Universe and never really officially split off, but just kind of was segregated enough, it may as well have been, and then Wildstorm, because, well, we've got Jim Lee, why not? and slam them all together into a new mishmashed history. Yeah. And there's a few things that are kind of subtly done as as Barry is racing through that panel, uh, specifically his costume changing there at the end. Yep, I, I did notice that. <laughs> I actually had to go back because I was thinking, wait a sec, how can Barry and Bruce be talking after this? When does this happen? How does this happen? But then looking at that closer... You've got all the, the little piping and stuff on the costumes, which I just find atrocious. But that was one of the big changes for the costuming in the New 52. And it's like clearly that last scene is taking place in the New 52 at some point. Yep. But the question I've got with this, a couple of questions with this splash page, is we've got what looks like at the bottom a shot of the Justice League, yet Correct. Grifter's in there. Yeah, he wasn't ever in the Justice League, to my understanding. Never, and I'm wondering, was the the plan to have him in there? I don't know, and that's very bizarre, because I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, it makes no sense. And then it looks like above that, when we've got kind of the Wild Storm and Vertigo characters getting smashed in with everybody else, it looks like we've even got a Milestone character of uh, Static in there. Oh, yeah. And yeah. He, he had a book coming out of the New 52. Interesting. Huh. So they could have argued that there was a fourth timeline to merge in. The Milestone universe, that, or timeline. Boom, yeah, because it was smashed in. It was always a separate world. Wow. Yeah, so that that's very interesting. And the only way I can think Grifter's there is that Jim Lee wanted him there. <laughs> Who knows? That's bizarre. It would have made more sense to have him up in the top. It would have. And have had some other classic DC characters down at the bottom. Maybe one or two that changed more dramatically or something. Yeah. So, I mean, you, so you guys didn't know what was coming out. I'm, I'm taking myself back to you reading. when you, The first month when the stuff's coming out, you don't know what's coming. No, because at that point, that, that's part of why it was like a three-month event, is you started this event before you really got the solicits, I think, of the other stuff. Wow. I'd have so the, to check my, my, the timeline and when certain things were revealed. So there's probably a lot of excitement coming out of this. Wow. We got all this new stuff coming. There was a lot of trepidation, a lot of excitement, and a lot of... of wait-and-see kind of attitudes. Yeah, let's see what the hell's going on. <laughs> I mean, there were a number of people that had just checked out of DC a few months prior because it's like, well, why bother finishing the stories if they don't matter? Ah, uh, yeah, I could see that, honestly. They were still telling some decent stories. Yeah. You know, but, but then when you go through three months of this and then you've got these reveals and the solicits of we're doing a static thing, we're doing Hawk and Dove, we're doing these characters, we're doing those characters... There's a lot of that sounds great. And again, when they first released those first issues, sales went through the roof. Yeah, I, I remember because I listened to stuff, podcasts back then. I remember, yeah, New 52 sold like gangbusters. Oh, yeah. It sold really well the first month and just better the second because you had the second issue sales and massive reorders on the first. Wow. Wow. And, and then it plummeted about midway through. Well, I wouldn't say plummeted. You've got to figure that everyone's going to sample these titles and not be able to get all of them continually. And then they'll gravitate to what they really like. You know, if you can convince everyone to try all 52 new titles, they're going to go back within a few months to the, 
2, 12, 20, or however many they would normally have been getting anyways, based on what's working for them. No, that's true. You know, you're going to have some people who are like a Superman fan who's going to pick up all the Superman stuff and maybe throw in a few other titles that they really liked. Mm -hmm. Who knows? And uh, I would have read, a, didn't they have like an Unknown Soldier or something? Or They had a war book, Men of War maybe? Men of, yeah, something like that, or Star Spangled something or whatever, but that I would have been all over that, but it was canceled after six issues, I think. It was gone. I think eight, and it wasn't a strictly war book because they had superheroes kind of peripherally involved, and it's like, those two genres don't mash together well. They really don't. <laughs> they always try to do it, and it just doesn't work. Well, the other thing that totally didn't work with this is this character, the hooded figure that's that's talking to Barry at this point, yeah. winds up being Pandora. And she had her own series for a while. That character, I, I never got the payoff there that I was hoping for. Ah, uh, just a big failure, flop, who knows. Oh, yeah. Well, and this, this week in your world for their impending arrival. Whose impending arrival? I don't know if <laughs> that was ever clarified, because you could argue the Forever Evil event and the crime syndicate, maybe. You could argue even later Dr. Manhattan and all of that stuff. But they went in with a, a couple of year game plan, but not a solid enough one. And there was some just confusion coming out of this. But in terms of, you know, a way to, to very literally reboot everything, because this is not a retooling of the universe. When they come out of it with the new origin of the Justice League and most of the characters, it's like, okay, they, they rebooted this world. Yeah, definitely. You know, the prior history did not happen until they decided later, oops, that was a mistake. Yeah, it all happened. Yeah. And that was another mistake. I'll tell you what, I read The Flash and like I'm reading Barry here. It makes you feel for the character, you know, with his mom and his family and everything like that. So you really like Barry for who he is, you know, and everything that's happening with him here. And you just realize he's an emotional guy. But he had some comedy in here, too, and it wasn't meant to be comedy, but I thought it was funny. When he's basically trying to turn back into the Flash and electrocuting himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't help but laugh because, like, the dude fries himself. <laughs> well, it's like, let's recreate the accident. Let's put these chemicals here. Let's get struck by lightning. And, oh, that didn't work. Let's try again. Yeah, let's do it again. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> what does it say about that Thomas Wayne? Not only that he does it the first time, but he helps the guy the second time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was literally laughing when I was reading this. I was like, this is like the last thing I would try to do, and I probably wouldn't be helping someone who's almost killed themselves. <laughs> the funny thing is, Barry has gone back to his origin point enough times that I'm pretty sure he's got a fairly detailed note of exactly what was where in the chemicals and stuff like that. Yeah. So reproducing the accident seems possible. There are other times where they've implied there was other elements to factor in beyond the obvious. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just a lightning bolt that hit him sort of deal. And they could have gone a little darker with this. I'm glad they didn't. But, like, they could have almost gone Deadpool with him. You know, he oh, has yeah. all this burnt skin. Well, hey, now you got your healing factor, but the scars were already there. So you look like basically like Deadpool running around. <laughs> but I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that either. Yeah. I would have hoped, though, with the Flashpoint Beyond, that Thomas Wayne, having been to the mainstream DCU, and I'd still have to, I'd have to go check to remember how they finagled that. But having then gone back to the Flashpoint world, yeah. why he doesn't look up some of the characters he either heard about or met to find out what happened to them in this world. Yeah, I'm curious too. I wonder why. Huh. 
I mean, we never get Nightwing or the Titans or some of those characters in Flashpoint, as far as I know. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it, they weren't shown here, so it were, they weren't in the side books, I'm assuming, either? Not that I recall, but I haven't read them since they came out over a dozen years ago. All right, well, if I ever get around to read it, that omnibus, I'll let you know. Or about a dozen years ago. I guess it's only 11 at this point, but still. Yeah. It feels longer. It was a long time ago. But I mean, you know, this was a decent series. It did make me want to read the the entire series. And the one weakness, I would say for me, the the weakest part of this, and and this isn't to be offensive to the person or anything, but I feel like Kubert, his art wasn't up to being like an event level artist. And and I don't mean that like a mean thing. It, It just comes off. I don't even know how you would describe it. Well, the way I would describe it is I don't particularly love his style. I don't like his style at all. And that that's the weakest part of the entire thing. I, I just, everything about the art, I was just like, eh, it's okay. It's okay. It's not bad. It's just, it's okay. And it's, when you get to it, a big event that's taking over the entire line-wide book, she would expect the top artist to be on this book. Well, and he's a big-name artist, and he's got talent. There's no argument there. But when you've got, like, this double-page splash of the timelines and stuff like that, and you've had people on previous event books like... George Perez and the like, it's where you would have, if, if you had had somebody of that style and caliber on this book, we would have seen the entire DC Universe timeline, uh, Vertigo timeline, and, and Wildstorm timelines, it would have felt like and stuff, versus just, oh, we get a couple of characters and it's symbolic. Yeah, a couple of characters, and they're, and they're not even, you know, like dots for the eyes, you know, they're not drawn, you know, fleshed out very well. So, I mean, it, 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 like I said, it's not bad art. It's way better than anything I could write, but I just expected a little bit more. Small gripe, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily the, the art style I would have picked for a DC event myself. Yeah, but overall, I thought it was decent. Like, I do agree with you, though. I think if somebody was going back to read this, it's going to read a lot quicker, and you're not going to get a lot of details that you remember and that you have. Like, that stuff's lost to me. You You see that there's a fight going on between you know, Atlanteans and Thermoscaria. I don't know how to say that. Well, the Amazons and the Atlanteans. Yeah, you don't see it, though. You don't really see the fight. You know, it doesn't happen. Yeah, you get a double-page splash or two, and it's all happening kind of obscured in the background. Yeah. And this is, again, where a more detailed artist would have given us some really cool stuff. Yep. And then when you've got, like, I think Grodd showed up at one point, and... Barry's like, oh, he's here, that's surprising kind of a deal. It didn't have the impact, both artistically, but also story-wise, when a lot of the characters that are rushing in at the 11th hour, we've barely seen in these five issues. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we get, you know, when Grifter and the Resistance come in, a lot of these characters had spoken maybe a time or two at most in this title, but in the other titles, they, they were lead characters. Yeah, they had a whole thing that happened something yeah. you know fleshed out their whole story or timeline or what what was going on with them so that that's the missing part so i'd say because of that it's an event done well if you're reading the entire event if you're not reading the entire event it's going to feel i was left it a few times like where's this coming from or huh i wonder that's nice to know i wish i could have seen more of that oh all right cool i i just breezed over it you know well, there were there were aspects where i almost want to say this was written for the event it really was you know, yep. because it's it's like the, an issue that's written for the trade is going to read better in the trade. Even the main miniseries here works better when supported by everything else that's fleshed out the world. 
Yeah. So you can read this, but I wouldn't recommend it by itself <laughs> is what I'm saying. I guess what's funny is my first thing I said, I was like, oh, it's kind of a, I almost said a breezy read, but it shouldn't be a breezy read because you should have had all that other material in context. Yeah. Well, and if you want a DC event that is told in a Marvel style, like Age of Apocalypse or some of those other Marvel yeah. events where they, they X-Men events really, where they revamp the X-Men world for a couple of months and then come back. This is very much that with the DC stuff. Exactly. That's what I would imagine. This is definitely like that where the Age of Apocalypse took over all the X books and you had to read all of it or you didn't know what was going on really. Well, and these are parallel side stories that happen together. So it's not like you've got to have read, read every of them to understand any of them. But to understand the big picture of what's going on in the world and the event, you need to have that, that context. Definitely. Yeah, that was a good way to explain it. I like that. And it is surprising how many of these characters, once you get past, you know, Barry, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and, and Superman and Batman, how obscure some of these characters are. They really are. And it's weird because DC has a huge roster of characters, but like, yeah, you start getting down the list, you're like, who the heck is this? For me, you know, I'm like, who, who's this? Who's this? Who's this? I have no clue who this is. And I don't know. Maybe you feel that sometimes too, but you have a lot more knowledge with DC than I do. Oh, I do, but some of them are characters I had heard about much more than read. Okay, yeah. Like The Outsider in particular. Yep. And there are a couple of characters that were created for this event never to be seen again. The Canterbury Cricket comes to mind. Yep. And there's nothing right or wrong about that, but it does kind of influence the read. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree with you there. So I did enjoy this. It was... Not a bad read. It was a decent read. It's just, it felt quick because of what we've discussed. Now, one question on timing I've got. Yeah. We've got this whole battle going down, the world's about to end sort of a thing. Yeah. Barry runs off, basically lands at his mother's doorstep. Oh, yeah. They have a nice leisurely chat. I think they even <laughs> have, you know, a cup of coffee or something, maybe not. And then Barry goes off to, to prevent everything. Yeah, that was... <laughs> It was just me or the pacing a little off there. That was, because you get this big emotional part where he just literally plops down in the front yard, sits on the couch, they're hugging it out, crying, and yeah, it seemed like the, a weird time, but yeah, it was off. <laughs> well, you look out that big window behind the couch, it's nice and peaceful out, compared to, you know, the world shaking apart and erupting or whatnot, it felt like, over in, granted, London versus Central City. But still, it's the same planet, and that, that seems like it had been felt on the same planet. Yeah, it felt like a pocket universe almost. <laughs> of course, the other thing I thought was funny was in the first issue, when Barry has to borrow his mother's car to, to go find Batman, he drives over to Wayne Manor in Gotham City, and apparently that's close enough that Central City, uh, you can get there within a couple hours. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I thought so too. <laughs> I always thought Central City was a little more, I don't know, central in the U.S. Yeah, and... Gotham is closer to New York. That's what I always thought. It's I at don't... least an East Coast city. Yeah, you would think. So you're thinking at least like a 10 to 12 hour drive. I don't know. Something like that. But Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fun read. I really think the damage this did to the DC Universe, or let me rephrase that. This didn't damage the DC Universe. The new 52 did. Yeah, it did. This was at least an interesting story going into it. I wish they'd kept a few different things out of this than what they did. I never really cared for the, the Shazam kids, but if they'd kept Yo-Yo, the Canterbury Cricket, and a few of these other kind of off-ball characters or whatever, that could have been fun. 
Yeah, I agree with you there. So, I mean, will we see them again? Who knows? I, I don't know. Probably just for a copyright, they'll bring them back eventually at one point. But, you know, I'm waiting. Currently, we're, we're reading Dark Crisis, which is coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for that splash page of what's to come or the solicit of what's to come because I feel like something should be happening with it since it's a crisis, but I don't know. It almost feels like nothing's happening. Well, I'm I'm still behind on my reading, so I'm not current on it, but I feel the same way in terms of it's not that the DC Universe is in that lame duck status it was in leading into Flashpoint. I would agree. But I have that same what's coming after this question and anxiety. Yeah, I, I have that too because I feel like Either something's going to be tacked on that we weren't expecting, like, boom, boom, you know, here's a splash page of, here it is, and it did matter, or it, why, why do we call it a crisis, almost coming out of it and being like, ah, that was it, you know, like a big dud. I, I, it just seems like it's, the stakes aren't very high. Well, I mean, let's face it, Flashpoint could have ended if you took out the two-page splash with Pandora and the timelines merging. Correct. And have Batman and Flash in their regular costume in the final scene. And it could have been business as usual at the DC Universe afterwards. Yeah, and DC might have been better off for it. Probably not, because their sales were pathetic at the time. (laughs) Sales would not have been better, (laughs) but continuity might have been better. But the whole coming out of it into the New 52, I feel, was tacked on. Yeah. Much the same way certain other things have been tacked on to other stories. And it's like, yeah, technically it happened there, but it wasn't an integral part of that story. So. I thought this was a good time to reread this, both with Flashpoint Beyond happening and with Dark Crisis happening, and we're at another kind of potential inflection point for the DC Universe. So we'll we'll see what happens. I really appreciate you picking this title because it gives me some more context for Flashpoint Beyond, which I'm reading right now. So it's helped flesh that out a little bit more for me, give me the pre-story before I'm reading that now. And it's good to see how DC handles crises or events from time to time. You know, we read Crisis on Infinite Earths, then we mm-hmm. read this. So it's nice just to get some some overall context on all of that stuff, the, how DC handles it. So I appreciate the pick. It was kind of cool. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. At some point, we'll do uh, Infinite Crisis and stuff, because I thought that was another good one. Yeah. And certainly, if listeners have thoughts as to, with upcoming stories, what would be a good story from yesteryear to to give context to it and stuff, let us know. Not going to say we'll do them all or whatever, but we're certainly open to the ideas. Yeah, I agree. That'd be fun. So, cool. Anything else? Are we good? Ah, we're good. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview Spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview Spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.